Hello, beautiful Lightfold Souls. Thank you so much for your support and connection. I want to let you know that this year, the third annual online near-death experience summit is completely free. So if you want to join the live portion that day and ask questions of the speakers, I want you to connect and experience healing. And I'd love it if you shared this event with other people who might benefit. A lot of people are suffering right now and really needing that connection to the beauty of the afterlife and to healing and to better understand these current energies. But I wish you all the best. Please check out the links in the show notes below and please enjoy this interview with a near-death experiencer who will be speaking at the event. John Handeran has had a very interesting life and centers a lot of healing in our world. So thank you for tuning in. Hello, beautiful Lightfold Souls. I am so excited to be here with my guest today. Uh, John Hanneran is the author of a book called Wrestling with Angels, and he has a fascinating history, and I just can't wait to hear more about his near-death experience and his life. So welcome to the program. Thanks, Trisha. It's so great to be here. Yeah, and I asked you to be a speaker at my summit as well because I really want people to hear your story and and know the value of healing and prayer. And I think at this time, a lot of people are dealing with fear and want to know that there is help from the other side. And what kind of confirmation did you get from the other side? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because, I mean, that's part of my main mission in doing this book and telling my story, even though my near-death experience happened when I was 25 years old in 1985, I knew when I came back I needed to tell the story. And more recently, I knew I needed to tell the story because so many loving people around the country have lost their loved ones, with 770,000 souls lost to the opioid addiction. My son got caught up. He was a high school athlete and he broke his leg in a wrestling match, which was a sport I did. Uh, so I was proud to watch him wrestle. I never pushed him into sports, but he, he had a freak accident and his prescription became opioids and the prescription became addiction. And soon our life was spiraling out of control. And uh, it was just heart, heartbreaking to see him go through that. And we were told at one point to plan his funeral by a doctor. And, wow. uh, and, what, and that, what that really knowing, hit home. What knowing from the other side helped you help him? Um, because I know you had a near-death experience. How did that yes. come to play in helping him? Yes. Well, when I crossed over, it was at a low point in my life. And all of my brothers and sisters and my parents were concerned about me. And uh, I had got caught up. In drug addiction and that's what kept me for, from telling my story for so long I died from a drug overdose and once I crossed over and I got in front of the most beautiful light my creator I saw the prayers of my loved ones I saw my parents prayers I saw my brothers and sisters uh, I saw them at my parents prayers as solid objects as uh, big structural pillars columns of prayers and I was shown the love that they were putting out in the universe for me and I think I didn't know I was going to come back man and I couldn't talk to the creator at first but a new language of light began to flow through me and once it did 
words began to come out haltingly. But the one request I made was to please do not let my loved ones suffer for the rest of their life back on earth because I'm in a place that they can't imagine. They don't know I'm where my soul is meant to be, where we all meant to be, where we all yearn to be, where really we all suffer to be in some way in this realm. But my request, I guess, was granted. That's the way I see it. And now I have a mission to share with others that prayers are real. Prayers can hold the ones you love in the light. They can give the ones you love strength. They can give your loved ones the strength. And they do not go unanswered. Even if your loved ones do not come back, like the 770 departed souls from what they call the death of despair, opioid addiction, drug addiction. We've lost 770 souls in the last 10 years. Those that have not returned, many of their loved ones have given up on God, given up on the strength of prayers because they haven't seen their loved ones come back. But I'm part of my main message is to let those loved ones, those prayers were not in vain. Those prayers were seen by your loved ones and your loved one is in a better place. Yeah, so a lot of times, you know, growing up in the South, uh, we've heard, you know, that people burn in hell uh, for, you know, those types of deaths, suicide or, or drug addiction. And after my near-death experience, that never rang true. It was like that God was so amazingly loving and so amazingly forgiving of all the things I had done. I just felt healed on that other side. And I think it is that healing that wants to come through, both through the deaths and through the lives of people. And, and what you said really rang true about not having the language, but then feeling that healing light and that love give you the language. Because that's how uh, angels communicate. That's how messages communicate through us, is through that telepathy and that light. And we have it within us when we have journeyed yeah. to that side. Yes, and, and the way I described it, it took me it took me a long time to really put this book together. but. The main impetus was to tell my story of what I was shown and what I want to come back and convey and the mercy that I was shown and, and just to share that with the others. I, I, I felt a connection to all the souls of the world uh, when I returned, but then I felt a frustration because it wasn't easy to convey my story. I felt once I engaged in conversation, there was never, it was always come an awkward pause and especially when they ask how did you die uh, and it was from a drug overdose that was um, a time in my life a low point in my life I, I grew up as an athlete doing sports since first grade I competed as an elite athlete became an all-american and I had finished my career I didn't make the Olympic team I kind of walked away from the sport and uh, right before the final trials in 84 and as an athlete, I was always obsessed about putting the work in and, and doing everything that needs to be done, a really obsessive work ethic. And once I lost that sport, um, the drugs had kind of taken over on me. And uh, I talk a lot about that in the book. So it's a healing book. It's a recovery book. And it, it, it's meant to help others in the, in the journey of recovery. And, you know, I, I believe in taking away the shame of addiction because I think that a lot of people who get lost in addictions are very sensitive souls who are buffering themselves from the energies and from this world and it's almost too much for them at times like that's a reason why some people um, fall into addiction of course you know the obsessive quality that you're talking about as well can be at play but 
but I think we all can heal. We all can just let that go. And no matter what your healing journey is, whether it's from trauma, addiction, you know, any kind of combination of these things, don't you feel it's the other side that adds that magic quality to that healing? Absolutely. It's, it's, it's non-judgmental. It's the, uh, the light is truth and love. And, uh, and we can share it with each other. The more we share it, the more it helps our, us to heal and the stronger that we become. And, and sometimes it's a double-edged sword because when I did come back, it, I did have to bear that frustration of how do I share this? I need to share it through my actions, through my life, through, through the way that I share love with with other people, other human beings, my loved ones. Uh, I'm lucky I found my wife and she's, we've been on a journey together, married for 30 years. We have two beautiful sons and uh, we're just really blessed. But to share it with the other individuals is, is really important. And, and that's, and, I found the best way to kind of show it to others. And I know that it awakened you when your son went through the struggle of addiction to tell your story even more fully. What healing were you able to bring to him? How were you able to be the guide for him to, to walk through that and heal? After a series of him struggling and going through a number of treatment centers and, and facing relapse and, uh, and then having his liver enzymes shut down with hepatitis C and and really on his deathbed in a hospital where a doctor told us that we really do need to plan his funeral. It's, uh, I knew it was time to, to share what my experience was. You know, a lot of parents have, um, they kind of come to a crossroad once they have children. Should, you know, maybe they had a party lifestyle in college or, you know, and after, and, and how much should they share in truth with their, with their own children. And I think that it's really important to share, especially if you have a predisposition where it grew into addiction, addiction for yourself. I think it's almost criminal if you do not share with your child that you may have a predisposition for addiction and make your, make your good choices, but know that that's a repercussion that might happen. I didn't have it in my family from my father and my mother and my other brothers and sisters. My father once told me about it. Um, a long lost uncle, maybe the black sheep of the family that was a gangster type that would drink too much in Chicago. So maybe it was somewhere down the line, but it's, it can be a genetic trait, but it's something that you should know that you're up against. And so when, when the time was right, I told him everything about my past. I told him how I died from a drug overdose, how that I was shown mercy, I was shown the light, I was shown the prayers of the loved ones in my life. And I came back and I've come back to share this. And uh, he told me it gave him strength. It oh. gave him strength to push through. So he's one of the miracles that he's eight years clean and sober. He just graduated from film school in London. So we're very proud of him. And at the third annual Near-Death Experience Summit, I'm going to ask you a lot more about the specific details of your near-death experience and, and so forth and how, in your life and how that led up to that. But I do want to hear just a little bit more, and I think the listeners would too, about what prayers looked like to you, because you said that they looked like objects at times, that they were just, and that's amazing. Yeah, they looked like uh, structural pillars. There was, especially my parents, my, and I kind of knew this as a kid. I grew up um, in an Irish Catholic family, a lot of kids in our family in the D.C. area, and my parents were I think they're already almost angels on earth because they're really strong prayer warriors and they were worried about me, but they didn't know. 
that my family had done an intervention about two weeks before my death and uh you know they knew i was on my on my um hanging by the last thread but i um when I, once I did cross over, I did feel their prayers. I saw their prayers as pillars, as uh, like structural pillars that you would see um, holding up a temple. And uh, but I reached out for them, but they were uh, kind of vibrational energy. So I, they weren't, even though they looked like strong structural pillars to me, they were kind of vibrational energy. It's hard to explain. And, and the one thing when I came back, I realized why the Bible talks in a lot of parables and different things like that. But, uh, you know, because it's, you want to express it to others and uh, sometimes the language falls short. And like I told you that the frustration to tell my story when I came back, I thought I needed to shout it from the rooftop. I thought I needed to go on Johnny Carson and tell everyone. But uh, I soon became uh, very frustrated by trying to share that story. So I knew I needed to live it. And it took me years to put this together and I wanted to do it in one book, but I needed to be totally truthful in my quest to do this. And that's why I had to show the shameful, the ugly parts of my life that I'm not proud of, but um, I'm not trying to hide anything. I'm just trying to be truthful and honest in my book because it's, I think it's quite a compelling story because um, there's a lot of elements to it. I ended up working with some of the biggest names in Hollywood once I came back and I, I became a practitioner in wellness. I was a, a, a trainer at a time. And so I was able to lay hands on people, say silent prayers for all my clients. I've always done that. And, uh, and then I got to the point where I began to share my story. Isn't it interesting, as you were talking, two things came to mind. One, you sound a little bit like me. I wanted to shout it to everyone and, and tell it to everyone that I possibly could. And some people resonate because they've had a spiritual experience themselves and other people look at it through the lens of just religion. So that is interesting, or they look at it through the lens of skepticism. But when we're able to connect on the energetic level with someone, it's so refreshing. And that's one of the reasons why I started this channel and why I interview other near-death experiencers is because we get each other. We really truly do understand that transport out of the physical world and that knowing that other side that that is hard to translate in in language yes and and the thing that comes to mind for me is is how strong are those individuals that haven't been shown what i've shown and and yet they still have faith in in their creator and and what's beyond for them and and that's where I like to remind them of that, that you have the face. I remind my wife of that. It's, you know, you're so strong. You have such faith and uh, you never give up hope. And uh, for me, I feel uh, even a more important mission that I, I need to share this with others and, and help them any way I can. Uh, my wife and I have actually, we've created a nonprofit foundation to help other families whose loved ones are suffering from addiction. It's called recoveryangel.org. Recovery recoveryangel.org recoveryangel.org it's a 501c3 nonprofit and we're hoping that some of the proceeds from the book will really help to bolster our nonprofit endeavors we've we've put loved ones through 22 treat one monthly treatment centers so far and uh, so we're, oh, trying, we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to give others hope and uh, direction because that world of recovery can be kind of a tangled web. And, and when you find that your loved one needs the help, it's really hard to know where to go and who to trust. But we've found some 
angels in that business and I'm hoping so to work, work with them. So tell me, what message do you have for people during this time who are struggling perhaps with addiction and maybe have lost their jobs, don't have health insurance, and like, you know, there's a compounding of issues right now that people are dealing with. And, you know, and maybe someone watching this has a daughter or son or loved one that they're worried about. My first instinct would to tell them just to put, put aside their pride and to ask for help get help, let others know that you need help. The first step, of course, is to at least attend a meeting, even though it sounds simple, even stand up between a fellowship of peers, of like-minded like individuals and let them know, hey, I'm John, I'm an addict. And, and when they embrace you and they, and they pull you in, there's strength in that power. If you're lucky, maybe you can get away and kind of get off, uh, kind of step aside the world and go into a residential treatment center. I fought doing that. My, my father and my sister, Terry, who's a nurse, knew I needed that help. And uh, I fought them and I, because I felt like I was giving up control. I was a real proud wrestler. I, was, uh, I wasn't going to kind of surrender my life to someone else. But uh, just put, your side, put aside your pride and uh, don't be afraid to ask for help because there's individuals that will help you. And it, and it, it may begin with just a 12-step meeting. Yeah, good reminder. I I believe that the other side literally works through our voices, whatever we're doing in this world. So we never know the power of this video, of this conversation that sparks something in someone. And I, I always believe that hope is possible. And, and for loved ones who pray for their kids or for others who are struggling, what, what can you say as a final thought about prayer and the power of prayer to help with addiction problems in society? Really just know those prayers are real. They're real and they will hold your loved one in the light. They will give your loved one the strength, the strength to overcome and they will hold them in the light. Uh, I know that's a main message that I'm here to return with and Prayers are real, and um, we've used them in our family, and uh, we believe in them. And you may feel neglected that your prayers are unanswered, but just know they're not in vain. And I know that you've covered a lot of topics in your book, from a modeling career to wrestling to working with athletes. I mean, it sounds like a fascinating memoir just on its own, apart from the near-death experience. But I'm really curious for those who want to check out your book, um, what, how much of the near-death experience did you go into in the book? Really, that's the um, really that's the the main focus of the book goes to that because the beginning chapter you'll you'll kind of you'll kind of see um that something did happen to me oh. but then uh so i i began after i began in telling my story how i was a young athlete and how i think it was important to see how an all-american kid and i i was i i, I worked really hard to get the honor of ncaa all-american in my sport and uh and worked really hard at that. So for people to see an, an All-American who gets tangled up in drug addiction, how those two things can kind of kind of cross and meet together because they, they don't make sense. And uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's kind of a journey of an athlete who gets to the uh, 
compete against the best athletes in the world in the sport. But then he's seen on the sports network by a prominent agent in New York. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm doing ads. I'm the face of designer campaigns and worldwide and magazine covers and uh, TV commercials. And I'm working in all the major markets of the world, Paris, Tokyo, Zurich, and, uh, and uh, Milan, Italy, and, and, and with a prominent agent, the Ford agency in New York City. And uh, so that's kind of a juxtaposition from going as an athlete, uh, one of the hopefuls for the 84 Olympics, and then all of a sudden, uh, one of the face, faces in the uh, fashion world, and so to speak. And I met my wife on a Vogue shoot, so that was one of the great things that come out of it. And, uh, oh, so you have so and, and pictures as proof of the love story. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a love story. You know, what, the way I think of my book, it's a family love story. Aww. Because uh, when things get tough and when, you're, when you have a loved one suffering from addiction, it's hard for couples to stay together because uh, they begin to blame each other. So it takes a lot of love, a lot of unselfish love, and uh, a lot of perseverance to, to stay together. And yeah. So, yeah, so there's some interesting aspects. And I was going to say then later I became a, uh, a, one of the top Hollywood trainers in L.A. and uh, kind of went into that business for a while, which was, uh, so I have a lot of interesting names. I, I, it's not a gossipy book, but I have a lot of interesting names. Well, I, the part that sounds fascinating to me is the laying the hands on, on people and praying for them, because I pray for my students as a professor yeah, that's something that when they go out into the world, when they turn in their final exams, I just want a little piece of my light to go with them. And so it kind of sounds like you did too. Absolutely, I do. Uh, I think it's so important. And, and, I, I, and I've, I've always done it in a silent way. In yes. A, in just a silent way. Because uh, part of, um, I, I think of five pillars of health and wellness. So I, I just came out with a fitness book too during the quarantine. So I spent my time putting a fitness book together too, it's called Fit at Home. And uh, I had four pillars of fitness, but I added a fifth one, mindfulness. Mm. So um, I talk about mindfulness and it's, once I did return from my near-death experience, I really wanted to reconnect. I, I was so afraid to lose that light. And so within a week, I found myself on a farm in Pennsylvania and I sat and I meditated and I knew where I wanted to put myself out to. I, I knew the light that I wanted to draw back into me. And I reconnected with that light and tears began to stream and I began to smile. And, and that day, which was about a, a week after my near-death experience, I began to see energy around me, uh, little orbs of light, little squiggly lights. I saw first. I saw them in the big spectrum of the sky as I was meditating. I was so afraid I was never going to see them again, but they're there every day for me. I just have to remember to look for them. Oh, what a beautiful place for us to end this interview. I'm going to ask you so many more questions Great. at the third annual Near Death Experience Summit, especially about that and connecting with energy because energy is truly everything. So. Please check out the links below for John's book and his website and the Third Angel Online Near-Death Experience Summit. John, Peter Pettigore, Sherry Ami, so many people, David Ditchfield. I just have a long list of healers and near-death experiencers because I want to bring healing to this world. And it is a free event. If you're in a different time zone besides central time zone, it might be a little challenging, but you can also purchase it and download the videos. But 
Thank you, John, for your conversation. I cannot wait to read your book and have a deeper conversation with you at the summit. Thank you so much, Trisha. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you.